tell you that both ends of those spectrums totally wrong because there's nothing worse than the people of God hiding away from the culture why because what if I told you that God's design for each one of us is not that we either accommodate and compromise or withdraw and become like a little Christian ghetto but that we thrive in the midst of a host culture that does not know Christ the siren call of our culture pulls us to live in a way that's very different from what Jesus wants for us. So how should we respond? Do you give in and live the same way as the world? Or do you completely separate yourself and live in a little Christian bubble? Well, today, Pastor Daniel shares that neither of these options is what God wants for you. You'll learn that because Jesus is real, you can move through culture in a way that allows him to shine and you to thrive. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Daniel chapter one as he begins his message, When the Worlds Collide. You know, when we think about the word friction, oftentimes it has a connotation in our mind of sparks, at least it does for me, right? Where there's this tension that happens. I mean, you think even the word friction, it's the resistance that one surface or object encounters when it comes into contact with another. When I think of the word friction, I think about when I first started to play the upright bass. I've been playing electric bass since I was a little kid. In middle school, I started playing. And, and it's one thing to play the electric bass. I mean, they're bigger strings. You know, for those of you who are guitar players, you have the little baby strings, you know, bass. They got big band strings, you know. That's a bias of mine, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, but then I had this great idea when I was in college that I was gonna play the upright bass. I had seen a guy playing the upright bass in like a funky jam band. I'm like, oh, I gotta learn how to play that. And I remember, I'm like, I gotta get one of those. And so I went to a garage sale and there was an older gal and she had been cleaning out her house and in her son who had grown up and had his own family. When he was in high school, he played the upright bass. And so it was in the closet for like 20 years or whatever. So she decided to sell 200 bucks. I gave her 200 bucks. And I remember I went home and I started playing that thing. And I mean, you may have realized that I'm a little OCD, you know, and when I get into something, I get really into it. So it was like, I would always be playing the bass, like, and literally my friends would be around and be playing the bass. But what I realized very quickly is if electric bass were like some man strings, those upright strings are like beast strings, you know? And really what happened was I started playing and these strings were so big and the, the friction of my skin against these long steel strings, very quickly, I popped a blister. Like right away, blister popped out. And so I'm in a bass player. So it's like, you know, you're used to blisters. So you get, you get your little straight pin, you heat it up, you pop that blister and you go right back to it. But what happened was, is because of the way that I'm kind of wired and I'm so, I am really OCD in that way, that I would just practice for hours every day and then I would go play gigs at night. And so what would happen is, is my hands weren't just blistered, they were like broken. My hands are broken. To the point where I'd come home from a gig at night and I'd stick my hands in warm salt water, right? And so I'd do that before I went to bed and I'd wake up in the morning, I'd put my hands in warm salt water to try and get them calloused up. And then if I had to play, I would use crazy glue. 
Because my hands were shredded. Like, literally, I go buy the big things of crazy glue. And I remember I was taking lessons, classical upright bass lessons from the principal bassist of the New Jersey Symphony. And I remember it was right before the lesson, I'm in the practice room and I'm literally crazy gluing my fingers together, you know, because they were just so bloody. And I would have used duct tape, but duct tape can't fix your fingers when they're all beat up that way. So I was using crazy glue. And I remember he walked in, he said, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to make my fingers so I can play. He's like, well, you can't play like that. I'm like, no, I have to. And he's like, well, I can't teach you like that. I'm like, look, they're my fingers. You teach me, I'll be fine. He's like, well, you're going to bleed on the bass. I'm like, but it is my bass, so let's not worry about it. You know? But it was all that friction of my fingers. And even though I was an electric bass player, I didn't have those calluses. And over and over again, the rubbing together, it just absolutely mangled my hands for a long season. And each one of us, if you put that word friction In your mind, something pops up. Now, what's interesting is a lot of us know what interpersonal friction is like as well. You think of the idea of interpersonal friction, it's conflict or animosity caused by a clash of wills, temperaments, or opinions. Anybody have any experience with that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, because what happens is you have two different people, they have two different points of views, they have two different ideas, and then you bring them together. And when they don't line up, then you have this tension, this rub, this thing that goes on. Now, what's interesting is all of us understand friction on different ways, but if you think about it enough, what you end up learning is that for those of us who are followers of Jesus here, and I realize not everybody in this room is, but for those of us who are followers of Jesus, there is the faith that we have in Jesus and the way we know we ought to live, and then there's the way that our culture works. And really what you have is you have these two worlds that are colliding We have the culture in which we live with its values and the things that it cares about. And then you have the claims of the person of Jesus. And these two, when they come in contact, they create friction. And what happens, I think, for a lot of us is that because friction is tension, all of us are always trying to reconcile tension. Like, how do we just get rid of the friction? And I think what happens is is for followers of Jesus... There's two kind of polar opposite sides that you can take, and many shades in the middle. But on one side, you have what I would call the accommodationist position, where there's the way our culture works, and then there's what Jesus says we ought to be, and then you say, well, because I live in this world, I'm just going to accommodate the culture. Rather than be unique in Christ, I'm just going to become just like the culture, because it's easier, and there's less tension, you know, and, and that's what I'm going to deal with. But you realize that when you accommodate the culture as opposed to Jesus, you're not a Christian anymore. You might in your mind be like, I'm a, you're really not. Because you're not following Jesus, you're following the culture. So you have this total compromise, accommodation to the culture. And then the other side you have, and a lot of Christians take this side, is you completely withdraw from the culture. Where the church becomes a little holy huddle that you run into, and you spend all your time there, and all your friends are just Christians, and you try and get a job at the church, you know what I mean? So that you don't have to actually be a part of the culture that you live in. And I'm here to tell you that both ends of those spectrums totally wrong. Because there's nothing worse than the people of God hiding away from the culture. Why? Because what if I told you that God's design for each one of us is not that we either accommodate and compromise or withdraw and become like a little Christian ghetto, but that we thrive in the midst of a host culture that does not know Christ. That God has purposes and plans 
because of the world being the way that it is, he has purposes and plans for each one of us in the midst of that host culture, and that God doesn't want us to resolve the tension. God just wants us to embrace this reality that the world and the culture is not what it could be or what it should be, but we are there to be difference makers. What if I told you that our desires to acquiesce the tension, to ease the tension, creates an even bigger error on different sides. My friends, listen. The culture that we live in is what it is, but Jesus is real. And because Jesus is real, God wants us to learn how to move through this culture in a way that shines the light on who Jesus is. And so we're going to start today a brand new series where we're going to look at a group of people who are, although the details are different, the circumstances are very similar. We're going to look at some people who end up in a culture that does not value what they value, but they learn how not just to survive that culture, but thrive in the midst of it. So you excited for this? Open up in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. The prophet Daniel, chapter 1. Open up your Bibles. If you have a smart device, just pull that baby out. Type in Daniel, chapter 1. Daniel, the prophet, is the last of what we call commonly the major prophets. And the reason we call them major prophets is because they were majorly verbose. The longer books of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, they're the major prophets. And then you have the minor prophets because they were less wordy. And you have people like Obadiah, and you have Zephaniah, and Malachi. So Daniel's, it's easy. If you find the book of Psalms, turn to your right. Isaiah, turn to your right. Jeremiah, turn to your right. Ezekiel, turn to your right. If you find any of those other smaller names, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, turn to your left. Daniel's right there between Hosea and Ezekiel. Picking up in chapter 1, listen to what it says. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men, in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. In verse 5, and the king appointed to them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, 
This book begins with a timestamp. This places what's happening here in context. Now, you notice it says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. If you want to date for this, this is 605 B.C., so 605 years before the common era, before this time when the calendar shifted, even though people want to call it the common era today because they don't want to say because of Jesus, but we'll talk about that in a second. It's like, so 605, and you can read about this in the end of Second Chronicles and the end of Second Kings. So 2 Kings 24, 2 Chronicles 36, both tell the story. This man, Nebuchadnezzar, who ultimately became the king of Babylon, he went and he besieged the city of Jerusalem. And that besiegement began in 605 and it ended up culminating in 587 BC, which is when the first temple, Solomon's temple, was destroyed in Jerusalem and the children of Israel were scattered off the land. Now, in 605, I want you to notice something because in verse 2 it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Now, who did this? God did this. Now, you want to talk about some friction? You want to talk about some tension spiritually? For most of us, when you hear something like this, you either don't think about it because you don't want to, or you just read right over it. But we have a tendency to want to divorce God from the things that happen in our life that we don't like. And for the children of Israel who were in the promised land and God gave them that land, the fact that God gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and they were taken away, and not only that, God gave away some of the utensils in his own house to send it into a pagan temple. You know why we have a tendency to not like this? Because we really want God to be a vending machine. We really, like, we've chosen to believe that God is just like a vending machine. You know, God is there, and if I want a Snickers bar, I get a Snickers bar. If I want a can of soda, I get a can of soda. If I want to double fist it with Reese's and a Crunch bar, I just put in double the money, and I got both of them, I get to do what I want. But sometimes we need to remember that God is a person and that God has purposes and plans. See, in the book of Deuteronomy, it talks all about, see, God put him in the promised land and said, if you honor me, you're going to be blessed beyond measure. But if you forsake me, then I'm not going to be able to bless you in the ways that I want to. And we experience that lack of blessing as cursings. And the children of Israel were put out of their land because they didn't honor God. But I want you to notice, this is all God's doing. And I realize that for all of us, if we're being real about our faith, that one of the things we struggle the most with is to realize that God still reigns sovereign over all the things that go on in our life that we don't like either. Things that we don't prefer. Things that go on that we're like, how is this possible? For the children of Israel, there was nothing worse than being displaced off the land they were promised. But notice, it's the Lord who did it. But why did the Lord do it? You want to set this entire book up? Here it is. That for each one of us, like Daniel and these guys, we were exiled for impact. You and I have been exiled for impact. You need to understand this. Because really what we have is that for the children of Israel, they've been exiled out of their comfort zone, out of the land that they live, and they're being sent to a land and a culture that does not value what they value. But they haven't been exiled for no reason. 
There's details about, and God, even though the children of Israel were disobedient and he sent them into Babylon, God's doing a work. Now, for many of you, especially those of you who are a little bit older, you look at our culture today and you say, what happened to this world that we live in? Some of you were around in the roaring 50s and the trippy 60s and the disco 70s, you know, and you remember what the world was like before it seemed all convoluted and like, even though not everyone was a follower of Jesus, the world was kind of pasteurized. Everyone was kind of the same. And now you're like, what is going on? What I want to tell you is that God is right in the midst of this generation. That even though we live in a culture that does not value necessarily the things of God and is actively opposed to the things of God, God has us with feelings of exile in this culture that we live in, but he has us there because God wants to have an impact. God wants to do a work. But God has set the stage for Daniel and his friends. And I believe also God is right in the middle of what is going on right now. They were sent there by the purposes and plans of God. You want another one of these, exiled for impact? Think about the life of Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Abraham has that great patriarch of the faith. It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, God tells Abram, I want you to leave where you are and I want you to go to a place that you don't even know where it is, but guess what? I'm going to bless you and I'm going to do a work and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that includes all of us if you're in Christ because you become partakers of the gift to God through the lineage of Abraham, the man Christ Jesus, the Lord and Savior. In this cultural moment that we live in, guess what? God has sent us into this world, into this culture. Why? Because he wants to bless us. And through us, he wants to bless the world. But you see why if you compromise and accommodate the culture, you can't be a vehicle for God's blessing. Or if you withdraw and hide out and hide away, you can't be a vehicle for God's blessing either. So what you realize, and I realize, is that God has exiled us from a culture that doesn't value what we value. Put us into a world that doesn't line up where there's this tension, this friction, but he wants to do it for impact. Now, notice how God works all this out though, because first we find that they end up going in and also some of the utensils from the house of God end up in Babylon. I want to just make a mental note of that a little bit later on in this study, not today, but in a, in a subsequent message, we're going to see these things come on out and how God's going to use these, these articles, these pieces of furniture, these utensils from the temple. But then it goes on. Notice what it says in verse three. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, or the chief of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. So listen, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's smart. 
He's out conquering. He's subjugating different people. And he's saying, this is what I want you guys to do. I want you to go out and find those who've been raised with privilege, those who are smart, those who are good looking, who are flawless. And what I want you to do is I want you to collect all those guys and they're going to come and they're going to be trained in all of our wisdom. So he's smart. He's like, he's, it's almost like Nebuchadnezzar's university. I'm going to take the best and the brightest from all these different nations and I'm going to bring them in and I'm going to educate them so that their wisdom can now become part of my kingdom. Now, if you think about this, imagine you are one of these guys, right? You didn't just choose to go to the land of Shinar, to Babylon. You had to go there. You were subjugated, right? Now, I've never had that experience, but if I did, that would be a very disconcerting experience. It'd be a very scary experience, but all of a sudden now, you get to live in the palace. You get to eat of the king's delicacies, of his wine, and you get three years free education. It's like, this is a great gig. Because when you're going in exile, you have no clue what's going to go on. I mean, people who are exiled out of their country, it's not a beautiful thing or a wonderful thing. So this is an amazing opportunity for the people who get this opportunity. And we meet some of these guys. Now from among those of the sons of Judah, verse 6, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave the names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So we meet four guys from Judah. We know them as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, we realize Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that was their Babylonian names. Now, before I go any further, for those of you who are looking for baby names, the first seven verses of the book of Daniel is rocking. I have never met an Ashpenaz before, but I want to. I have never met an Abednego, but we should, and... The only time I've ever heard the name Nebuchadnezzar outside of the Bible is in the Matrix movie. And let the hearer understand. But like, you want to have a Nebuchadnezzar, don't you? You'd be like, hey, yo, Nebu, come on, Nebi. That's an aside. That's just between me and you guys. It's just if you're looking for cool names, we got a whole plethora. But you know what we find here? And I have all the meanings of these guys' names. But what you find is Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those names are deeply theological. It's all about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then when they go to Babylon, they get new names. And guess what they do? They take all the religious connotations from the people of Israel out of it. And I'm here to tell you, our culture is trying to do that to us as Christians. You ever meet someone, you're like, so, you know, you're like, I'm a Christian. You're like, this person is deeply religious. You know how that... No, you said you're a Christian, but you're deeply religious. Why? Because when you say Christ or Jesus, now all of a sudden there's some teeth to it. That's why we put up these billboards that say Jesus is real. You know why we do this? Because Jesus ain't messing around. You could say, oh, God is real. But you know what the problem is? Everyone believes in God. It's which God do you believe in? But Jesus is very specific. And we live in a culture that's trying to take Jesus out of everything. Now listen, when I say that, What I'm not saying is that we should hate our culture. No, 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 no. Because you know what? Our culture teaches that we should hate things that are different from us. Our Bible says we should love everybody. Jesus is real. Today, Pastor Daniel began a news series in the book of Daniel. 
all about how to navigate life in a culture that wants to take Jesus out of the equation. You were reminded that Jesus doesn't want you to either go along with the culture or pull yourself totally out of it. Instead, you should consider yourself to be an exile in this world like Daniel and his friends were in Babylon. Like them, God wants you to thrive as you impact the culture around you for the better with the love, truth, and grace that Jesus offers. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus' Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus' Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will talk more about what it looks like to live in a world that doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. You'll learn that you need to follow the example of Daniel in purpose for purity. When you know who you are and who Jesus is, you can decide how that impacts your life and the choices you make. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Friction. Until then, may God bless.